everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast. We're back today with a state-specific twist here on our Back to Legal Basics series, looking at important considerations for hiring and firing in New Hampshire. Um, and we'll be focusing specifically on discrimination and even more specifically, how to avoid it. So for folks tuning in from other states, welcome. We are happy to have you here. And just because we're focusing on New Hampshire today doesn't mean we've left you out. Uh, be sure to check out our episode 35, which is all about federal discrimination laws in hiring and firing. And that serves as the, the baseline for all of the states. So all the information in that episode will um, get you to where you need to go. Um, so yeah, we're diving in today on discrimination laws and how to avoid discrimination on New Hampshire farms. So super excited to be here today, back again with our staff attorney, Sarah, to get you into what you need to know to weed out discrimination from your farms. Because again, a lot of the time, it is totally accidental. So hey, Sarah, how's it going? Hi, Eva. It's going all right. Yes, today we'll be exploring discrimination and hiring and firing in the state of New Hampshire. So for all you New Hampshire farmers, this one's for you. If you've tuned in to previous episodes, you may have heard Eva and me discussing our itchy spots from poison ivy and poison oak. We both are generally good at avoiding it because we've learned how to identify it. And this is actually a brilliant analogy when it comes to discrimination. Discrimination can be so accidental, so easy to accidentally or inadvertently do it, um, that it really is important to learn how to identify it so that you can avoid or prevent it from happening on your farm. Yes, for sure, Sarah. And with that in mind, let's uh, talk more about employment discrimination and why this is something that farmers should know about and care about, generally speaking. Great. So first question is, what is employment discrimination? It may go without saying, but I think a refresher on definitions can be so helpful. So here I go. Employment discrimination is treating a person or an entire group of people differently from other people or groups of people at work because of their membership in a legally protected category, such as race, sex, age, or religion. So there are three important pieces of this definition. First, treating people differently. In life, you know, we're all going to have our favorite people, right? 
we all like some people and in a work setting, this includes employees better than others. We just are all different people with different likes and dislikes. And we just simply jive better with some people than others. It's simply human nature then that if I like Sally and maybe I don't really care for Stanley, that I may talk more to Sally than Stanley. Maybe Sally is just a better worker than Stanley. And so I offer her more shifts. You know, equity is difficult and treating people equitably is important and a good thing to strive for. But the law doesn't say that simply treating people differently is against the law. So getting to the second important part of this definition, what the law does say is that treating people or a group of people differently from others because they are members of a legally protected category is illegal. It's the because that's the important word here. So if you always snub Stanley and refuse to talk to him and don't offer him shifts because of Stanley's race, gender, religion, and so on, then that is illegal. So on to that third important part of the definition then, legally protected category. As a society, the United States decided some time ago that a vital part of being American was equal protection under the law. In the 1960s, the Civil Rights Act was passed and that law said that no American shall be treated differently because they are from a certain country or they believe in a certain God or their skin is a different color or they identify as a certain gender and so on. And as a country, we decided then that there are just certain fundamental aspects of individuals that are such a part of who someone is and many of these aspects they were born with and cannot change, that to treat these individuals as less than is just not right. The Civil Rights Act has evolved as we have evolved as a society and has added further related protections. And now many states also have created their own anti-discrimination laws, which adds even more protections. So these equal protection laws make it illegal to discriminate in employment, housing, and other critical parts of American life. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Sarah, for that um, very thorough, excellent rundown to get everyone on the same page as to how we get those uh, legally protected categories and also how to think about, you know, decisions that are made on the farm um, and how they might relate to discrimination. Um, that, that, that keyword because is, is so key. And so these, these are all really important pieces to understanding discrimination in a legal sense, um, such as what is illegal versus, you know, what is just life, relationships, rapport, hanging out with people that we like. Um, and I think that the gray area is really where folks are choosing to surround themselves with people that they like because of certain characteristics, whether it's conscious or subconscious, uh, because those characteristics may very well be the ones that are protected by law. Uh, I think that's what makes discrimination such a weedy issue. It's, it's all very gray, and that's, that's really why we're talking about that today, here again, specific to New Hampshire Farms. For sure. It is so very gray and so weedy. But fortunately, 
we can hone our perspective to understand when the gray area crosses into illegal territory. So to flesh things out a bit more, let's get back to Sally and Stanley. If they are my employees, it may not be nice to treat Sally differently from Stanley or good for my farm business and work morale on the farm, but it's not against the law if I do this because I don't like Stanley or he's not a good worker or his hair is green and I don't like green or because he's short and I don't like short people and so on. But if I treat Stanley differently because he's a member of a legally protected category, say maybe he's gay, he's Muslim, he's blind, he is really a she, then that would be illegal. It is the reason behind the treatment that really matters. It is the because that's really important. Yeah, for sure. So now that our listeners hopefully have a little better understanding of employment discrimination, um, can you explain, Sarah, why farmers, especially those, well, specifically (laughs) those in New Hampshire, should care about this, this issue on their farms? Sure, Eva. Yeah, the first part of the answer is probably obvious, you know, because treating people fairly is good, just, and, you know, simply the right thing to do. I think our listeners are likely good people trying their best to do the right thing, and that they likely strive for this and are very much on board with this concept. But the second part of the answer is maybe less obvious, more practical, and a bit scarier. Discrimination claims are costly, time-consuming, emotionally taxing, and nothing that a farm business owner would ever want to get caught up in. But even the farmer trying their very best to be fair and just and kind can still get caught up in such a lawsuit. You know, this is because, and let's go back to the poison oak, poison ivy analogy, discrimination can be very hard to identify and therefore very hard to avoid. Sure, there are those people out there that are very much intentionally treating people badly and doing it with very illegal motives. They are intentionally discriminating. But because most of us have lived our lives being blasted with cultural messaging around sex, race, religion, and more, more likely than not, we all have some degree of inherent bias around these things. And It is very hard for these biases not to interfere in our decision-making as employers. And the consequences can be mm, not small. I was just reading about a farm in California that uh, just this March was fined $40,000 for employment discrimination. This was a small family-owned fruit farm. The details of this claim revealed in a press release on the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission website um, that the farm employer had disciplined two female employees and singled them out because of their sexual orientation. The employer also segregated these two employees from the other employees and subjected them to harassment. The federal agency investigated the claim and found that there was reasonable cause to believe that these allegations were true and that the farm had violated Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. The farm ended up settling the claim. So this was never a long drawn out battle in court, but 
It was very expensive for the farm and probably not fun for anyone involved. These things happen and farms are not immune. Yeah, for sure. And as you're talking, Sarah, I'm imagining how that whole scenario maybe would have played out um, visually in real time. And I can imagine that the employers, you know, they might have been very aware of what they were doing. But I can also equally vividly imagine that they were doing um, those things subconsciously, you know, separating those workers driven by their implicit biases, which, which like you said, we all have. Um, so that example, as sad as it is, is a really powerful one for double checking how farm employers are treating their employees. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, now I think it, it's a good time to get into an even narrow, narrower, <laughs> an even narrower question. That's a hard word. <laughs> <It's> a hard <laughs> word. <laughs> so uh, now that our that all you listeners know why discrimination issues on the farm matter. You know, of course, ethically, but legal, specifically legally speaking, um, and what can happen if a farm gets caught in the crosshairs of one of those suits? Um, what should they do as as farmers and ranchers in New Hampshire to prevent these, you know, not very fun situations from happening on their farm? Yeah, well, Eva, I'd say let's go right back to that poison oak and poison ivy analogy here. They should be able to identify discrimination and then avoid it like the plague or COVID or first, the identifying part. Let's look at the employment discrimination landscape in New Hampshire. So now we're turning to the state specifics. New Hampshire has its own anti-discrimination law. It is called, imagine this, the law against discrimination. Ha, imagine that. New Hampshire's law includes more categories of protection than the federal law. And whereas under the federal law where these protections don't kick in unless you have 15 employees, in New Hampshire, they kick in with only six employees. So let's get into what these categories are and how this would play out on a New Hampshire farm. So number one, uh, race, color, ancestry, and national origin. So the law against discrimination in New Hampshire prohibits employers from discriminating based on race, color, and national origin. Under the law, national origin includes ancestry. So these are all kind of grouped together. And on the farm, it would be illegal discrimination to make hiring decisions based on these categories. So it would be discriminatory to decide, for example, not to hire a potential worker because they are Black or from East. Dan Bull, or so on and so forth, it would be discriminatory to hire only Mexicans or only Latino workers. The point with this one is that it's not just one way. It's not that it's just discriminatory to hire non-white people. It is discriminatory to factor one's race, color, ancestry, or national origin into the hiring process at all. Uh, The second category is religion. So under New Hampshire's law against discrimination, uh, that prohibits discriminating on the basis of one's religious creed. So let's get into this term creed. The law doesn't define what creed means. So we had to look elsewhere. In California, 
Uh, there is a similar law and it defines creed as any traditionally recognized religion as well as beliefs, observances, or practices which an individual secretly holds and which occupy in his or her life, or sorry, backtrack. It's not that they secretly hold these beliefs, they sincerely hold them, sorry. Uh, and these beliefs occupy in a person's life, a place of importance parallel to that of traditionally recognized religions. This encompasses all aspects of religious belief, observance and practice, including religious dress and grooming practices. So that's California's definition of creed, religious creed. So it likely encompasses a lot of religions, including ones that aren't necessarily mainstreamed or well-recognized. So if Noah can't work on Saturdays because he's Jewish and that's the Sabbath, and if you fire him because of that, that could be potentially discriminatory. And likewise, if Sammy wears a Rasta cap because she's a Rastafarian, that too could also be discrimination. If you penalized Sammy for not um, for wearing the Rasta cap at the farmers markets, for example. So the third category is sex. And this is a big one here. So the law against discrimination makes it illegal to discriminate on the basis of sex or in other words, one's gender. So this is multifaceted. The first part includes sexual harassment. It is illegal to make unwanted sexual advances and the like uh, tied to employment decisions. For example, you can't tell Talia that you would only give her a raise if she goes out on a date with you after the harvest fest. It would also be illegal to create a hostile or offensive work environment by sexually harassing staff. Yes, for sure, Sarah. Thanks for um, going through those, those first three categories. I think you give really clear examples. I love that you share names and scenarios for listeners to imagine. And um, just that bit about you know, not creating a hostile or offensive work environment by sexually harassing staff. I mean, that could be as crass and over the top as, um, you know, a farm employer requiring employees to sow seeds while wearing swimsuits like Speedos or bikinis or in the nude on National Gardening Day. Oh, or, boy. I think there's like actually a National Naked Gardening Day. Okay. Yeah. I heard of that. I have actually, I've witnessed this in action actually. Oh, see, okay. So this yeah. is, that is a thing. And so it is a thing because of that being a thing, it could be, you know, a risk if that's the kind of work environment that the farm employer is, is cultivating. Um, but, and then at the same time, you know, yeah. on the other end of the scale, it might be something like a job listing for a farm, you know, position that uh, the employer is specifically seeking out, you know, you know, men or women of a certain age or um, specifically seeking out um, non-binary folks of a certain age who are able to lift a certain amount or like look a certain way, you know, all of that, that right. ties into each other. Um, so yeah, lo lots of opportunities for discrimination that are super blatant, like, you know, making everybody come to work naked, <laughs> the on naked yeah, <laughs> right. in the Speedos on Naked Gardening Day, sure. um, 
or, you know, just implying that they should wear or look a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which all can just, um, you know, because of these inherent biases and just these cultural messages may not feel like anything to an employer, but it certainly uh, can feel very uncomfortable to an employee. So the next facet of sexual discrimination involves pregnancy and childbirth. The employer must all must allow the employee to take a leave of absence for temporary, this is sounds kind of, I don't know, interesting, but disability for pregnancy. So pregnancy under New Hampshire's law is considered to be a disability. And so the employer must give the pregnant employee uh, time off work for the pregnancy as well as the childbirth itself and other related medical conditions. And also the employer must ensure that the employee's job is there when they return from that leave, unless, quote, business necessity makes it impossible or unreasonable, end quote. So on the farm, it is important to allow a pregnant employee to take time off to have a baby. And if their job is not available to them when they're ready to come back, then you as the employer will need to make a pretty good case for why that would be so difficult. And let's see, moving on to the fourth category, gender identity. Uh, New Hampshire's law was expanded in 2018 to include gender identity as a protected category. And this is a big win for the LGBTQ community and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has named gender identity as one of its top enforcement priorities. So this is a big deal and important to pay attention to. And as we learned from the California case I mentioned just this spring, uh, the feds are in fact enforcing these claims. Under New Hampshire's law, gender identity means a person's gender-related identity, appearance, or behavior, whether or not that gender-related identity, appearance, or behavior is different from that traditionally associated with that person's physiology or assigned sex at birth. Ooh, okay. So let me thank Sarah for, for sharing that sure. um, stipulation in terms of the de- how New Hampshire law defines gender identity. So I'm just going to try to take a stab at this one. Um, sure. So for example, if I'm the farm employer and I decide not to hire someone to work on my farm because they are transgendered, that could be discriminatory. Um, and if I fire an employee who has undergone, say, surgery for a, or, you know, gender confirmation surgery, that could also be discriminatory. Is that right? That's right, Eva. Yeah, you've uh, seemed to really have this down. You got it. Yep. And related to that is the category of sexual orientation. So sexual orientation was added uh, way back in 1998. So it's been around a while. It's illegal in New Hampshire to make hiring or firing decisions based on sexual orientation or to treat a person differently because of their sexual orientation. So if on the farm you decide not to promote Johnny because he's gay or treat Marcia poorly because she's bisexual, this is not going to be legally kosher. And then uh, on to the next uh, category, a little bit related, this is marital status. So New Hampshire's law also says you cannot discriminate on the basis of a person's 
marital status. So for that, you know, short and sweet yeah. <laughs> um, explanation for, for the basis of marital status as a protected category, um, is that so just to clarify for listeners, is yeah. that saying that it would be illegal to discriminate to decide, you know, for example, to not hire a worker named Fanny for the following growing season because uh, you can see that she's wearing a wedding ring and while, you know, assume into the future she's going to get pregnant and then that's just not going to work for your farm needs, for your farm's needs. Yeah, exactly. That would be good fodder for a discrimination claim. You betcha. Yep. And moving on, we've got a couple more categories here to deal with. Uh, the next one is uh, regarding age. So in New Hampshire, it's illegal to discriminate on the basis of age. This is also illegal under a federal law, but the federal law is only concerned with protecting people over oof, 40. Wow, I'm 40. I'm on, my birthday's coming up. I'm going to be 44. So whew, boop, boop. thank goodness I would be protected <laughs> under federal law. Uh, in New Hampshire, you simply can't take account age into account when making employment-related decisions at all. So that would be true if a person was 18, and it would also be true if the person was 81. So you couldn't have a policy on your farm that employees must quit when they turn 65, for example. But you could establish criteria based on age or length of service by which employees can, say, earn a pension. Or you can also establish a reasonable job performance criteria uh, that employees must meet in order to continue working. So that part would be okay. Otherwise, you cannot um, make hiring and firing decisions based on age at all. And then we get into health conditions. So the law against discrimination prohibits employers from discriminating based on physical and also mental disability. And in the law, a disability is defined as either physical or mental impairment, which substantially limits one or more of someone's major life activities, uh, or there's a record of having such an impairment or being regarded as having such an impairment. So note, however, that the illegal use of or addiction to a controlled substance is not defined as a disability for the purposes of this law. Okay. So in New Hampshire, then, it would be illegal to discriminate to, wait, it would be illegal discrimination. It is illegal to discriminate. Um, It would be illegal discrimination to fire someone because you found out they have depression or that they're an alcoholic, Um, but it would not be illegal discrimination if you found out that they were, say, using, you know, a hard drug like cocaine, for instance. Right, exactly. You've got it once again. And the next big thing to know about these health conditions is that employers are required to make reasonable accommodations for these conditions. So unless the employer can demonstrate that such accommodation would impose, quotes, an undue hardship on the operation of the business of the employer, end quote. If the employee or, say, the applicant, if it's just in the interview stage of the employment situation, can perform the essential functions of the job with or without accommodation, then they are deemed to be qualified for the job. And then back to that term, reasonable accommodations, 
This includes things like making facilities used by employees readily accessible for those with disabilities, restructuring the job to be part-time or even um, providing modified hours or reassigning an employee to a different position if available, uh, modifying equipment, providing interpreters, and so on. On the farm, if you have an applicant who is in a wheelchair, for example, and they really want to harvest apples, if you can accommodate them reasonably, which would mean that it would not bankrupt the farm to do so, uh, so that they can pick the apples as quickly and efficiently as other applicants not in a wheelchair, then they would be deemed qualified to do the job and not hiring them could be illegal discrimination. Great, thank you, Sarah, for walking us through these eight legally protected categories so far. Sure. Um, and so I think maybe our listeners are now wondering like, all right, so these are their legally protected categories. Some of these areas might be gray space that you, know, you may have you know, reflected on and felt like you've been in that situation as a farm employer or a farm worker before. And so what about retaliation? So if, you know, if I were, say, um, working on a farm and I was being sexually harassed by uh, not even the employer, like another coworker, or mm -hmm. even by my boss, but my job is super important to me, I don't want to lose it, it's my main source of income, I might be inclined to keep quiet about that. So I'd, I'd probably be afraid that if I spoke up about this, my boss might retaliate by firing me if they're the ones who are, um, you know, committing the sexual harassment. Yeah. Yeah, Eva, it's certainly a valid consideration. And unfortunately, it's something that happens frequently. And that's why New Hampshire has actually created a ninth legally protected category. And this one is uh, participation in commissions. So uh, the law against discrimination makes it illegal to discriminate against an employee because they have participated in commissions. So what are commissions? Uh, that refers to the Human Rights Commission, which was established by this law. So this commission is the enforcement arm of the state and they work uh, with the Federal Equal Opportunity and Employment Commission to assist people who file discrimination claims. It would be illegal, for example, to fire an employee who filed a complaint against their employer um, with the Human Rights Commission. Excellent, that's really good news. And so it sounds like that, that that's it for, um, the laws, if, if the ninth is the additional and final category against uh, discrimination. Um, so moving forward, now that we have, have those nine categories under our belts and um, all you farmers and ranchers who are listening, feel free to pause here and rewind and go back through each of, each of the protected classes just so you can um, have a refresher or you know it's a lot of material that we're covering here and so you can listen to it in bite sizes and um, just refresh yourself you know especially if you're in the process of um, reevaluating your your hiring strategy and um, you know evaluating the work atmosphere that you currently have on your on your farm um, all, all good tidbits to be aware of and cultivate into your lens of understanding your farm business systems so Moving forward, um, what else should New Hampshire farmers be aware of in terms of avoiding that the, these discrimination 
um, within these legal category, legally protected categories. Yeah, sure. Well, actually, Eva, uh, the law against discrimination is not the end of the story because there are a few other laws in New Hampshire that also make it illegal to discriminate against persons in some additional protected categories. So the first one is uh, crime and domestic violence victims. So there's something in New Hampshire called the Crime Victim Employment Leave Act. And this law makes it illegal to discriminate against crime victims. Do note that this law though only applies to employers with 25 or more employees. So it's unlikely that many of our small scale producers listen, listening now would be included, but this is good to know about anyway. Um, this law makes it illegal for employers to refuse to hire an otherwise qualified person because they may have been a domestic victim, um, a domestic violence victim. And it requires employers to permit employees to take a leave of absence so that they may attend court dates as required. And that part can be limited as needed. So if it really does create an undue hardship on the employer, then they would be exempt from uh, making those accommodations. And then uh, the next one is military service. So employers cannot deny employment to an individual because they are a member of the National Guard, for example, and they can't interfere in their ability to work or discriminate against them in any way because of their connection to the National Guard. Got it. So if I have an applicant for a farm job who is in the National Guard, for example, I may be concerned that if I hire them, they'll be called away on duty. Uh, but if I decide not to hire them, I might be breaking the law. That's right. Yep. I think it's that um, concern of employers that the um, military folks um, are not going to be available to to do the job, but I think in our country we recognize that important um, role that they serve, and so need to give them that extra bit of protection. For sure. So yeah, um, and then the next category, this one is about smoking. So in New Hampshire, you can't discriminate against an employee just because they smoke when they are not on the clock. So that's right. You might smell tobacco on Freddie's breath in the interview, but his smoking habit is not a legitimate reason to not hire him. And this is as long as he can demonstrate that he will not smoke on the job if that's not allowed. So note that this applies only to the smoking of tobacco products. Okay, so only tobacco. So even though cannabis is becoming legal in more and more states and is more widely acceptable for medical and even recreational use, um, if I were the employer in this, in the Freddie example, I could still choose to not hire Freddie if I smell marijuana on his breath. That appears to be correct. Sorry, Freddie. <laughs> Just about the products. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That could change though, these laws, you know, they evolve and as we evolve as a society. And so, you know, always be on the lookout for changes. Okay, so last but not least, um, the final category I wanna talk about is genetic testing. So this is kind of a strange one and it likely is not gonna come up on the farm, but for the sake of being comprehensive, I'll mention it. In New Hampshire, it is illegal to require employees to do genetic testing 
and to require this as a condition of employment or to base an, any employment decision on genetic test results. So strange, yes, but genetic testing is something that many employees fear. Now this is old, but a 1989 survey of large businesses, labor unions and private utilities found that 5% of um, the 330 companies that they surveyed conducted genetic screening of employees. And it has been used to the detriment of workers. In the early 1970s, for example, employers used genetic screening to identify African-Americans who carried a gene mutation for sickle cell anemia, and those who did were denied jobs. Oh, that makes my heart sink. Yeah. Ugh, but um, helpful to know you know, where these laws come from. And I'm glad that we have moved forward from the seventies, although, you know, still lots of work to be done. Um, yeah, just a bit. <laughs> uh, so much work to be done. Okay. Yeah. But bringing it back to the subject at hand here. Um, okay. So genetic testing, we also got the tobacco products and the military service protections and the crime victim protections. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that very thorough rundown on protected characteristics in New Hampshire, Sarah. That was very Anytime. comprehensive. <laughs> so now for the big million dollar question. How can producers avoid discrimination on their farm given you know, this extent and breadth of these protected categories and also how they can consciously and subconsciously kick in? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we definitely want to help all of you listeners out there avoid discrimination on your farms. So let's talk about this in the context of a life cycle. Um, I like to think of employment as having a life cycle. And there are basically five stages of that life cycle. And we'll talk about how to avoid potential discrimination in each of those five stages. So number one, this one is um, the job description and advertisement stage. So the first stage of the employment life cycle is putting the word out there about your job. And so how do you do that? You might be wondering. Well, first you need to write a job description so potential applicants know what they might be signing up for. And then you're going to need to advertise it. So put it in places where potential applicants are likely to see it. You want to make sure there's nothing about your job ad that could be viewed as discriminatory. That makes a whole lot of sense, Sarah. And so um, what are good strategies for how farm employers can do that? Their best strategy, Eva, is going to be to write a discrimination-proof job description. Farm employers will want to create a description that does not show any kind of preference for a certain gender, age, race, religion, et cetera. All those bases for discrimination that we talked about already. So the best way to avoid that is to focus on the job itself and write a description that gets into the duties and responsibilities of the job, the working conditions and required knowledge, skills, and abilities. Think about these things. What education and experience do you really need to have to do this job well? How much weight do you really need to be able to lift? Does the job involve, say, working with hazardous equipment or maybe um, being in harsh conditions? Um, what, is, what are the work schedules and production expectations? Um, do they need to be fluent in any particular language, really? Do they have to wear protective equipment like hard hats and respirators? All these things you want to take a real hard look at. 
That's a good list of um, things to consider. So all you listeners out there who have, you know, live job descriptions, maybe for the fall season, or you're, get, you're getting a jump start on t- the 2022 growing season, you know, take that list um, of questions that Sarah just shared. Again, feel free to rewind. Big fan of doing that when listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and use those questions to filter through and you know, kind of do a litmus test of how your your job descriptions are phrased and posed to the general public. Um, so yeah, for folks who haven't written job advertisements yet, Sarah, what are some, or what do you think are the top tips for somebody, you know, actually writing the job description? Sure. Yeah, I have three tips on that. And uh, the first one is to use gender neutral language. So instead of saying, foreman or salesman, right? Foreperson or salesperson, you know, just try to think in terms of gender neutrality, always a, a good um, trend to, to, um, to get going on. So number two, avoid words or phrases that indicate a preference for a certain age, gender, or even intellectual capabilities. So if you don't really need a college degree to do the job, don't include that requirement in your job description. And maybe don't say strong young workers, as you may be discriminating against those of the tender age of 40 and above. And then number three, you can certainly encourage a diverse pool of applicants, and that's great. But um, there is an art to it. You don't want to blatantly state things like retirees wanted or looking for Muslim workers or stay-at-home mothers. This too could all be seen as discriminatory, indicating that employment-related decisions are being made on the basis of one of those protected characteristics, age, sex, religion. Instead, maybe just indicate that you are an equal opportunity employer or that women, minorities, and individuals with disabilities are encouraged to apply. And then let's get into our second stage of the employment life cycle. This is the interview stage. So this next stage, you have put your ad out there and now you are interviewing some applicants. This stage also brings potential discrimination danger. And where does that danger lie? Well, it can be lurking there in the questions that you ask and in the interview process itself. Here's where you can really get into trouble. By asking questions and interviewing in a way that elicits information about protected characteristics, so race, religion, gender, et cetera. Uh, Questions like, are you married? Or do you have children? Or plan to be pregnant soon? Those aren't appropriate interview questions. Neither are questions like, when were you born? Or where were you born? Yikes. Uh, (laughs) Those questions are bringing me back to a scenario. It's not employment related, but um, I remember my landlord on the farm that I was leasing asking me if I was expecting and I just (laughs) I just remember being like really weirded out and I at the time you know kind of just like shook it off and then after the fact I recognized like oh my gosh if I you know was it if I had answered yes like Mm -hmm. what would he have done with that information you know right yeah so I and I think that that lesson of like, what would they do with that information is applicable to employment. Sure. Absolutely is. Um, So to make sure you're steering clear of asking these questions, and I would have given your, your um, 
landlord some of these same pro tips mm -hmm. here. A <laughs> uh, couple of um, couple of tips here come up. So um, number one is prepare a list of questions ahead of time that you ask all applicants that relate directly to the job you are hiring for. So this will help keep you on track in the safe lane and out of danger. You will not accidentally steer into discriminatory territory where you find out information that doesn't apply to the job and relates to those protected characteristics. And number two, you know, you might be cruising along in the safe lane asking zero questions that could lead you to finding information out about race, religion, sex, age, all these things. And all of a sudden your interviewee tells you about how they had their wedding on a farm. And that's why they're so interested in this job, which will help with barn weddings. Oh, and then she slips in there that her wife is very supportive of this job and that she's comfortable with her taking on this job, even though she's pregnant and a high risk for being over 40 and all. <laughs> Ooh, that's loaded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Lots of, lots of precarious fodder there, huh? But yeah, that just like falls out, you know, falls into yeah. the employer's lap. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it might feel in those situations, like there's no way that, you know, you could have um, proven that you weren't discriminating if you didn't hire that person. Um, but there's the chance that if they don't get the job, right, that they think back to that conversation and think about all sure. the info that they shared. Oh. Yeah, right. It feels like in that way, there's no way as the employer that I, I could prove that I wasn't discriminating if I didn't hire this employee now. But, you know, if this were to happen to you in an interview, you know, just first of all, don't panic. You know, don't just don't ask follow up questions at that point. Steer the conversation away from this terrifying topic and back into the safe lane. You know, sure, it would be more discrimination proof if you didn't know all this information. But if you have a good interview process where you are consistent and ask the same questions to every applicant, you have helpful evidence that you are not engaging in discriminatory practices. And then uh, number three, one more tip here, uh, a note about this process. Uh, first of all, you have to choose uh, applicants to interview. So what does that process look like? How can you make sure that you're making these decisions without discriminating unintentionally? A couple of pro tips on that. Uh, someone told me that at their organization, they cover up the names and other identifying information of the applicants on their resumes to make sure that they are looking at the skills more objectively without knowledge of gender or other personal characteristics. And I think that's great. Uh, and then I think it was my sister who was telling me a story that she heard about an orchestra that had historically hired only men, only male um, uh, musicians. And then they started doing blind auditions where they didn't know who was playing, man or woman. And 50% of their new hires were women. Nice. I feel like those are all really great ideas and might be a little hard to transfer over into the farm context, but it just makes me think of like... Sure. Oh, what if like the farm crew was who interviewed the potential applicant, you know, and mm -hmm. um, gave feedback anonymously, you know, associated with like a number or a person. And I know that won't yeah. work for all farms where like it's a very, you know, close knit community and you want to really test right. and make sure everyone drives well, works well together, all that. Um, right, right. But you all may come up with your own excellent ideas. 
Yep. There's a lot of room for creativity here. So uh, the next stage, Eva, is hiring. Whoop, whoop. And um, at the hiring stage, that does sound like another opportunity to <laughs> go, go astray again. <laughs> yep. No shortage of opportunities here. So say you've interviewed applicants and now you need to pick one for the job. So how do you do that? How do you make that choice? without accidentally engaging in discrimination. Basically, you want to create a solid hiring process that has clear objectives and consistency built in. So how do you do this? Um, two more pro tips here. Number one, write your answers to the interview questions down. Writing these down will be helpful for your memory so that you make your uh, your choice based on actual facts and not broad perceptions or biases. Uh, they also will be useful in case you run into legal trouble down the lane. As with most legal issues on the farm, records generally are going to be your friend. And then number two pro tip, uh, cross-reference these answers with the job requirements. So what skills and experiences are essential for the job and what skills and experience would be helpful for the job? Does this applicant have those? Uh, consider using a scoring system as a way to help bring consistency and objectivity to the process. Super. Now, I feel like this is a good opportunity to bring up social media right now um, yeah. in terms of, you know, when you're hiring, you might, you know, have had a really great conversation with the interviewee and you want to look them up online. Um yeah. So what what should farm employers Ugh. be thinking about there if they're tempted to learn more about potential applicants by checking out yeah. their Insta, gra Insta gram right, right. <laughs> or Facebook page? Oh, yeah. Is that You're okay? So hip. You're so hip, Eva. <laughs> so hip. Yeah, so hip. Um, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, it can be very tempting to use social media as a tool in the hiring process. You know, if you have two candidates that appear to be equally qualified, you may feel like harvesting information about a person's experience, character, and so on from Facebook or the, or the Insta, and that might help tip the scales. But this is dangerous territory rife with potential discrimination. So when it comes to social media, it really is in your best interest to turn a blind eye so that you don't accidentally learn information about those protected characteristics. So Sally, for example, seemed like a top candidate. And then maybe you learned that she was just in rehab or is recovering from a severe bout of depression, or maybe that she's much older than she appeared. Just don't do it. Got it. So um, if I do, if I were the, you know, say the farm employer and I do mm -hmm. dig around on the Insta mm -hmm. and I do get helpful, seemingly helpful information, like maybe I see that they have worked on other farms and maybe there are farmers right. that are doing stuff that I'm trying to accomplish on my farm. Mm -hmm. um, but in this case, you know, ironically, it, when it comes to social media, um, it may not be so helpful you know, because it's a goldmine for personal information. And in this case, knowledge may not actually be power, but may instead be potentially dangerous for me as the farm employer. Yeah, it seems, it seems strange because usually, you know, knowledge is, is power, but in this, um, in this case, it's, it's a rare instance where uh, ignorance might be bliss. So, 
Uh, and then we've got two more stages here. So let's get on to the working part. So say you found uh, great employees. What a relief. Or is it? You're not, you're not out of the woods yet, unfortunately, as this stage of the employment life cycle is also chock full of potential discrimination issues. So let's figure out how to deal with those. So there is great potential for employees to feel like they're being treated unfairly and that it's due to race, religion, gender, age, health conditions, the list goes on. Hmm. Okay, so how, what are best practices, would you say, Sarah, for avoiding discrimination, you know, once folks are hired on and they're working on the farm. Yeah, I mean, basically you want to create consistent and objective processes that accommodate for employees' individual differences and that ensure fairness in all things relating to the working conditions of the job. Whew, no big task, right? <laughs> so think about things like how are you setting wage rates? How do you decide to promote an employee? How do you do you assign job tasks or schedule work shifts? Have you created open lines of communication and a process through which employees can seek help if they're being harassed by another employee? Do you accommodate where needed? Do you have private bathrooms, changing areas, and break rooms? Do you have accessible spaces for those with physical disabilities? So I've got a few pro tips here for you. Actually, I, I really, I just have one in this case. Um, this one should really address all of these concerns. So create an employee manual. This is your number one best way to ensure consistency and fairness in the workplace. You can create processes and policies for all of these things. And it not only will force you to really think through how to make a fair and accessible workplace and create positive work conditions for all, but it also will really help with communication with your employees and also will provide guidance for when issues do come up. Plus, if you ever do run into a discrimination claim. Um, this manual will provide good evidence that you take discrimination seriously and have worked hard to prevent it. Yes, for sure. Great advice, Sarah, um, on the employee manual, which is a good thing to do in most states. There are some that should be wary of that, like I know Montana especially, um, but New Hampshire and all you other listeners um, take into consideration, yeah, the employee manual and the power of having those standardized processes for all workers. Um, so we have a great sample employee manual on our website that you listeners can take a look at and tailor to your farm operation. And you can access that through Farm Commons membership. Yes. Great. Thank you for reminding listeners of that, Eva. Um, fantastic. And on to our last work-life cycle Woo-hoo. stage. We've arrived. We've arrived. Oh, yeah. I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot. Uh, thanks for listening. So the last um, stage here is oof, firing. So this is the one that no one really ever wants to get to, whether on the employer or the employee side. No one wants to get here, but sometimes it is inevitable. There are lots of reasons you might need to let an employee go. Sometimes it's because of a really egregious reason, like stealing from the employer. But often it can be more benign, uh, but still problematic reasons like the employee is just not performing as they need to, or there simply is no money in the budget to pay the employee anymore. Whatever the case may be, it's important to make sure that there's no potential for a discrimination claim if it comes to this. Yeah, Sarah, so I've heard that most discrimination complaints occur after an employee has been fired or laid off. 
I haven't actually, you know, worked with any producers on this issue during my tenure at Farm Commons. Um, could still happen in the future. I hope not, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, but is that typically where farm employers would run into this? Yeah, Eva, it really is. This is an area to pay uh, particularly close attention to because this happens uh, quite frequently. So, uh, yeah. So how do they avoid it? Let's just let's get into that. Uh, in a nutshell, basically have clear policies, be consistent, write things down. And then I'm just going to get right into that. Um, same pro tip I mentioned earlier, uh, that employee manual I mentioned um, in the context of working conditions, that's the same, same pro tip applies here. So it comes in really handy in the firing context too. It's so helpful to have an employee manual that lays out clear processes for addressing workplace issues such as employee performance or a lack thereof. Uh, make sure that employees understand what is expected of them, what will happen if they don't do as expected, and what is grounds for immediate termination. Consider solutions short of termination too, like addressing performance issues through an employee improvement plan. <laughs> Sounds kind of funny, but uh, really important. And then a few more tips here. So if you do make the decision to terminate employment, create a process through which this decision can be relayed in a firm but kind way. So stick to the facts. What are the objective facts that were the basis of your decision? Have an exit interview and take notes from your interview. Again, records are your friend. And the last two tips, uh, if you're contacted by agencies or by prospective employers or, or anyone, stick to the facts. If you can't say anything nice, probably say nothing at all. In other words, be honest, but don't be insulting. And finally, just an extra one because firing and discrimination is a biggie. Uh, the way these things typically shake out is that an employee will, mean to, will make a complaint to a government agency saying that the employer fired them in retaliation for the employee complaining about the employer. So it is illegal to fire an employee for complaining to you, um, whether it's the work conditions or employment practices. So take care to make sure that is not happening in your workplace. Yes, for sure. And with that, Sarah, you have completed the employment life cycle and taught us and shared excellent tips with us for how to identify discrimination and then avoid it, just like poison ivy and poison oak. So glad we got that solved. And now all you listeners out there hopefully have a strong basis now for how to identify discrimination and also how to avoid it on your farms. So let's hope that we can continue to do the same with our non-friend poison ivy. Although <laughs> I know some herbalists who use poison ivy flowers for some medicinal purposes. So there's fascinating. Um, I know there's uh, uses to be found in the least expected places for sure. Nature provides. That's right. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for all of this helpful information. You're welcome. Thank you, Eva, for talking through all this and giving some really great examples. Yeah. And thank you, listeners. You all are the real MVPs and best wishes as you um, take a clear and um, kind look at your employment plans, the atmosphere of work that you have on your farm, and then also your process for bringing on new workers. All right. Well, 
it's almost fall. So happy almost fall and till next time. Thanks y'all. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening and keep on growing.